Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about how God is using us to equip the body of Christ in evangelism, discipleship, and church planting, go to traincpe.org. And to learn about our local fellowship, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We're considering the life of the Apostle Philip today from two passages. In the first, Nathaniel challenges Philip's claim to have found the Messiah, and Philip simply says to him, Come and see. In the second passage, Philip declares the impossibility of feeding a massive crowd with the little that the apostles have. And we'll discuss the wisdom of recognizing impossible situations. The first occasion is the occasion where he gives a call to Nathaniel. And it does appear as though, you know, he's not ready to debate with Nathaniel this issue of whether anything good can come out of Nazareth. The Bible says Nathaniel was a person without any guile. That is, he's a guy who spoke his mind, and he was pretty honest with himself and with other people. And I've got a hunch that he and Philip, because they were friends, had gathered together on a number of occasions underneath Nathaniel's fig tree, and they'd carried on long conversations and discourses about what the Bible said about who the Messiah would be and where he'd come from. And you know, I think that of the two of them, Nathaniel was the one who probably carried the day in those discussions. He probably did most of the talking. He's probably the individual that if they ever got in a debate or an argument, Nathaniel usually came out on top because he just had a sharp mind. I think that Philip probably knew better than to try to win an argument with Nathaniel. And he was right. You know, no person has ever come to Christ as a result of losing an argument. They come to Christ because somewhere along the line, somebody is willing to introduce them simply to the person of Jesus Christ, just to talk about Him, just to tell them and lead them to Him. And let Christ, through the Holy Spirit, do what He needs to do in that person's life to bring that person to Himself. And so, you know, Philip may be just like us, not particularly articulate, not the keenest of minds, not a great debater, not capable of cutting a swath through the intellectual and prejudicial barriers that people put up towards believing in God, not a quick tongue to set down all the different arguments that people raise up. He's the kind of person who thinks of what he should have said on the drive home. His best arguments are made when the argument's over and the opportunity's lost, but see, in all of that, Philip knows what he needs to do. Because he's not all of those things, he knows what he needs to do. And what he needs to do is simply this. He calls men to come to Christ. Just come and see. Take a look for yourself. Use your own powerful mind. Yeah, I can see you're an intelligent person and you're thinking hard. You're asking good questions. Ask them of Jesus. Go talk to him. Study the word. I mean, use that powerful intellect that you have and study for yourself. And see if you don't see in him what I've found in him myself. That's the right answer to give. And that's the answer that... Philip gives to Nathaniel. I like the fact that Philip doesn't understand everything here. He doesn't. You know, Philip says to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. Well, really, if you look at the account, it, it really didn't work out that way. If you study it, it appears as though the Messiah found Philip. But Philip is so excited that he gets the story turned around a little bit. I found him. No, no, Philip, the Lord found you. And then Philip says, he's Jesus, the son of Joseph. And of course, Philip doesn't really understand. That's the same phrase that people later on would say of Jesus when they weren't believing in him. Isn't this the carpenter's son? And you see, Philip doesn't understand all of who Jesus is. He hasn't heard the story of the virgin birth. He doesn't know all these things, but he knows enough to point people to Jesus Christ. This is encouraging, folks. 
You don't have to have an understanding of the whole outline of uh, systematic theology. You don't have to understand all the creeds and have them memorized. You don't have to have understand all the different arguments for who Christ is and how he could be God and how he could be fully man and fully God at the same time. This is true, but you don't have to put it all together and be articulate in all of it. You don't have to understand it all to point people to Jesus Christ. And that's just like Philip. He's a little out of his depth at this point in time, but he still is doing the right thing. He's pointing men to Jesus. He's saying to them, just come and see. Let's look at the second occasion here. The second occasion is the one where we're told that Philip demonstrates that he doesn't have the power to believe the impossible, and so he failed the test because John says that Jesus said these things to Philip to test him. Now, I think that the reason Jesus was saying these things to test Philip was not to test Philip to see whether he could believe in him for the possible, but to test Philip to see whether Philip could properly understand the gravity of the situation. You understand this? Jesus is not saying, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? Because he thinks Philip's going to say, hey, Lord, you know what? Why don't you just grab a couple of loaves and fishes from a little kid around here or something like that and bless it and break it and feed all the people? I mean, come on, folks, let's think about it. Which one of you at this point in time would have clued in that this would be the solution to the problem? You see? It's not the obvious answer to be given. The people who are commentating on the life of Philip are reading into it their own understanding of what Jesus is at the end of it all, after he's died and risen from the grave and ascended into heaven and has brought his spirit into our lives, instructing us and teaching us. And they're expecting Philip to be at that point, but he's not there yet. What Philip needs to understand before God can do anything is the gravity of the situation. That this situation is hopeless. That's the test. Philip needs to understand that they're in a situation that only God can provide the solution to. Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? I think Philip passed the test myself. I think Philip understood the gravity of the situation. I like Philip here. What Philip has is the ability to perceive and understand impossible situations. And it's when we can perceive and understand impossible situations that we can begin to appreciate how God intervenes and cares for us and delivers us. Listen to me. Philip has the ability to recognize the impossible. Lord, we don't have enough money. If we had a year's worth of wages to give everyone here a bite to eat, this is beyond us. So often we blindly miss the miraculous intervention of God in our lives because we fail to note that daily He is providing for us what is impossible. Do you understand? That every single day we wake up to the miracles of God providing for us what is impossible without Him. How many praise Hims and Lord Jesus thank yous are missed because we fail to note that daily we cross the threshold of impossibilities by the grace of God. Daily we do. Listen, salvation itself is nothing but the overcoming of one impossibility after another. Sin makes me spiritually dead to God. Dead. Have you ever been in the presence of a person who's died at a funeral where the casket's open? Have you ever gone to a place where you've gone into the room where you're able to go and see a loved one or a departed friend who's lying in the casket and you recognize at that moment that all potential for relationship and connection to their lives is, is gone. They are gone. That there's just a body there that is unresponsive in every way. The Bible says that sin makes us dead to God. 
The Bible declares that individuals who do not have Jesus Christ in their lives are dead, it says, in their trespasses and sin. That means there is no capacity within them to be responsive to God. It's over. There's no relationship there. Folks, in all practical purposes, it's impossible. It's done. They're dead. And what did Jesus Christ do through our lives? Well, when we put our faith in Him and we trusted in Him, there was a big but God, but God who is rich in mercy, raised us up who were spiritually dead to new life in Him. And you see, our salvation, our experience of salvation, comes from receiving this impossibility, how Christ can triumph over sin's condemnation, over the death that sin brings to us. Sin also brings to us separation, the sense in which we're removed entirely from God. And yet when we receive Christ into our life, that separation was taken away entirely, and we are brought into an intimate relationship with God, and this is an impossibility. And there is sin's debilitation, that is, that we have in our lives the working principles of sin and the working principles of the flesh and the working principles of the devil that war against us, leading us into constant and daily compromises and sin. But the Bible says that we have victory through Jesus Christ and that we have been given through Him the power not to sin and this is an impossibility apart from Jesus Christ so let's just think of it for a moment now I'm speaking to the believer I'm speaking to the individuals who trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior who's recognized that they're a sinner and that they're separated from him they recognize that Jesus Christ came and that he died and he took the punishments for their sin on that basis what are the impossibilities that we cross on a daily basis through Jesus help one of them is simply this we wake every day to realize communion and conversation with God. We talk to Him, and He hears us, and He meets our needs, and He touches us, and we interrelate with Him. And folks, I want you to know, if you understand the condition that men are in, and the sin that is lodged deep in their hearts, and the condemnation, the weight of the condemnation against them, this is, apart from Jesus Christ, an impossibility. You go out of your house sometime late at night or you go out into the woods and you look up and you see the stars around you and you recognize the vast creation all around you and all of a sudden you're aware of a reasonable thought and that is that you are a speck, that you are nothing and less than nothing in the grand scope of all things. And yet Jesus taught his disciples to pray this way and looking at all that creation and understanding the great extension of the galaxies that expand out from this place that we can go before the God who rules over all creation, who all creation serves as but a footstool for Him, who the Bible says that the revelation of His name, all creation shakes and trembles and flees from His presence, that we can go before that great and powerful and mighty and holy God who is transcendent above all things, and we can go into His presence and we declare His name and we speak to Him this way. We say, Our Father who art in heaven, and this God, who's the creator of all things, claims us as his children. And he hears our cries, and he hears our pleas, and he descends to earth, and he reaches down, and he bends his ear to us, and he receives all that we say. We pour all of our words into his ears, and he pours all of his grace out upon us in response. This is what the life of communion and prayer is like, you see, folks. This is an impossibility without Jesus Christ, without him. And the Bible says that we are surrounded every single day 
by a great host of demonic beings and forces which seek to destroy us. The Bible says that we wage a battle every day and it's against principalities and powers and forces in dark places and that the leader of them is the one who is called the prince of the power of the air or of darkness. That's Satan and folks, it's real. He's evident, he's present. He is a malicious influence seeking ominously to come upon our lives and destroy us. And he would if he could destroy our lives. And yet in the middle of all of that, and it's all around us, we don't need to fear. We can say, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. We can say that through Jesus Christ, I always am able to be led forth in victory and triumph over all these circumstances and over this malicious, malevolent force. And folks, this is an impossibility without Jesus Christ. And so we could go on and on and on of forgiveness and cleansing that we receive each day that is impossible, of our hearts that begin to desire to know God and please Him. When the Bible says that in the heart of men there is a basic principle that none seeks after God, no, not one, and yet look what's happened in my heart now. I'm searching for God. I want to know Him. I want to discover Him in my life. I want to experience His life. This is impossible. And we could go on and on. Folks, what are we saying here? We're simply saying that what we need to do is gain an appreciation like Philip for the impossibilities that surround us every single day. Why? So we can be hopeless? No. So we can know that our hopes are all met in Jesus Christ. That he gives us all that we need every single day. And he provides for us. And he meets the impossibilities of our lives with the possibility of the one who said, through me you can do all things. You see? And the one who also said, without me, you can do nothing. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership, evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, and we need your prayers and your support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.